0: My name is Jason Santos. I'm a sophomore at Stillman School of Business, majoring in mathematical finance and applied economics, so very fun majors. (laughs) My project was Pirate's Closet. The whole objective of the project was to make formal clothing available for all students, regardless of your financial needs. And so we've established a public closet of professional attire.
1: My name is Isabel Garino. I'm a sophomore political science major in the arts and science cohort. My IDT this year was the Crucible Committee. So what I did was I took the Crucible Moments lesson that all the leadership students are taught during their freshman year, and I implemented it to be part of the freshman year curriculum so that freshmen have access to it as part of their university life requirement, and also the peer advisors have access to it as well.
2: My name is Alyssa Carrier. I'm a freshman. I'm a journalism major part of the College of the Communications and the Arts, and my IDT was putting together a video to be sent out to high school seniors advertising the Luceno Leadership Institute and just giving a well-rounded overview
3: of what the Institute is and what we're all about. Let's just start with the big question. Why be an interdisciplinary team CEO?
0: I'm a transfer into the program as a sophomore, and my big motivation was the fact that It was all placed from a struggle of my own where I had the opportunity to attend an event where you had to wear business attire and I did not have that. And so because I went one day to Burlington with about $50 in my pocket and was struggling to afford a good suit, tie, blazer and such, I was embarrassed about the moment. But as time went on, I realized that I'm not the only one that has to go through this struggle. And so instead of just... Focusing on myself and the own problems I have, I realized this extends to many other students in all different types of schools, and I wanted to fix that problem for other people.
1: Sort of similar to Jason, you know, a big thing for me and a big driving factor in a lot that I do is making something good from bad. And so I lost my dad my junior year of high school. I went to school the day after his funeral, he passed away in May, and I took my AP exams the same week, went to junior prom, was inducted into the National Honor Society, and then was voted to be vice president of it. And I did that all within that one week. And I did all of this because I was so, so scared of being known as the girl with the dead dad, as crazy as that sounds, because throughout high school, I had been known for my achievements, really. And that was it. But what I didn't realize was that my achievements were even greater, because I had gained so much resilience through that one week alone. And, you know, that's my crucible moment. And I realized that Everyone on this campus, regardless if they're in the leadership program or not, is going to have a crucible moment, and it shouldn't be a privilege that's excluded to just the leadership kids, that they're able to define their crucible moment, take stock in it, admire it, and know how it shaped their identities. So I wanted that to be something that everybody on this campus could have and what really motivated me to be a leader.
2: My process was a little bit different from the other two being a freshman. We had the list of IDT prompts already decided for us. I didn't get to come up with my own idea but I wanted to be an IDT leader in order to really test my leadership skills. I I wanted to grow as a leader, and that's what the Institute is all about. And I'm friends with some of the upperclassmen in the Busino Leadership Institute, and they, they advised me to just go for it. And Dr. Price did as well. He told me that if I'm even considering it, to jump headfirst and just go all in. And I really wanted to put my leadership skills to the test. I had learned a lot about leadership in high school, but I know there's always more to learn. So I jumped at the opportunity to be able to lead this team and come up with something great. And I think we were very successful and I owe a lot of that to my team.
3: But it was a very beneficial
2: experience for me. I grew a lot as a leader and as a person
3: throughout this entire experience. This question is for Alyssa, because I don't know if things have changed, but the video prompt is usually like the most intimidating of them. Because like Everyone has ideas to how to make things better about the selection process and the first semester, which is usually for my year. Those are my other two prompts. And what I hear about the video often is like, oh, there's something wrong with the video that makes it not super usable. Was that something that you heard before you went in that intimidate you? And how did you get through that?
2: We actually went in completely blind to this prompt. We had no advice, no other people giving their input. At our very first meeting, we decided we want to do this video prompt. We all had some sort of idea about what we wanted it to look like. I had a very creative group of people. It was all randomized, so I just got a random group of Busino kids. We were all in agreement, actually. There was no debate because we, we just threw it a blank for the other two questions. But we all had... A pretty good idea of what we wanted our video to look like. That ended up completely changing by the end. It was daunting, especially because we had one person on our team with editing skills, and that was it. So yes, it was a, a large task to take on, but I mean, we were all up for the challenge.
3: We were ready to step up and figure out if we could actually do it, and
2: we were very successful,
3: at least in my eyes. I want to ask the other two a question, and that is, Part of the most mysterious part of the IDT practice, and that's the draft. Just tell me about that.
0: (laughs) The draft was extremely scary for me. Like I said earlier, I was a sophomore into the program, so I knew nobody. I barely knew people in my own school of business, let alone from arts and sciences, nursing and such. The way I got to it was just doing a lot of research and basically LinkedIn stalking everybody. Um, Some of it was a little easier because there were people who reached out to me and people who reached out to me with interest in it definitely got put on like a higher pedestal as far as pickings and wise. But I just use a lot of the resources they gave us. They gave us an Excel sheet that showed everyone's voting practices. And so I ordered that from everybody who voted me first, second, and third were basically on the board for me. (laughs) And from there, I went through every person's LinkedIn, big interview, and their disk assessments. And was just trying to assess what type of person they are and also try to balance our team because I know my disc assessment, I'm not known as assertive. I had a low D on that. And so I was looking for people with on the higher end of that as well as people who aren't on the higher end to make sure we have a balance of it all and just trying to create this balance of it all. Yeah.
1: So unlike Jason, I'm high on the D. <laughs> I'm high on D and I, so I'm very assertive. So when I was looking at Picking people for my team, again, the draft is very mysterious and very daunting where Jason and I and all the other leaders were on a call and it it really is like an NHL or like, you know, some draft. It really goes in that process. And, you know, we're definitely a little bit narcissistic in the way that like, you know, we see, okay someone, at least I was, they ranked me number one. There were some cohorts where I did not rank number one at all. For everyone, I really looked at the disc. But for those ones, it was especially tricky because, you know, I wanted people that were passionate on my team. And it's odd because the people that, you know, I picked from those cohorts that didn't rank me number one surprised me the most. And they were even more passionate than I, you know, had even assumed that they would be. So, you know, and it's really interesting how it all all these like little ingredients and pieces that they give you they all work and they really do all come together because I I know with my team I felt really blessed I felt like I had a family at the end of it and it was really it was really experience
3: if you're tuning in from outside of the leadership institute all the people on their teams people that we've known people that are in our class so I'm assuming because either pick one person or in Alyssa's case one person's picked for you from each cohort to be on your team were any of your friends on that team And did you have problems with aforementioned friends or any problems with things like getting personal versus professional in this environment?
0: Really, the only friends I knew were from business, like I said earlier, so I didn't have that struggle, at least. Um, I would say my friends were from business, Julia and Kyle, and there were really no struggles of getting personal or getting professional throughout the project. It was kind of a nice balance we struck where... I'm not a person that comes in and is very demanding of everything or tries to structure everything very loudly. I like to create an environment where everybody can speak and everyone has their own opinions and they're valued. And so I think that we created a culture that was pretty personable, but also was able to get what was needed.
1: When I went into the draft, I made a conscious effort not to choose anybody that I felt that I was really close with. And that's just because part of this is, you know, it's interdisciplinary and I wanted to make new bonds and learn how to work with new people that I haven't before. So that was a conscious effort on my part. And because of the nature of my project, it was one that required us to be vulnerable and go beyond just that surface level peer level. I really worked on being more than just a leader but also a friend. It's a tricky balance too, managing that because you know you still you're still a CEO, you know, you still deserve respect. So it just came up to having these team bonding activities and these moments where we can laugh and share experiences while also being able to delegate and keep each other on task with deadlines.
2: Actually a lot of my friends were on my IDT team. I mean, I live on fourth floor Aquinas Hall and a lot of other Busino kids do as well. So I know a lot of my Freshman cohort there. So I was really nervous going into it. I mean, what would happen if there were disputes or disagreements and what would happen there? I mean, especially because we're all in such close proximity, I was very worried about the friction, especially because one of my team members was actually my sweet mate Kayla. And so if there was a dispute there, that'd be a pretty weird living situation. But in the end, we all had the same idea of what we wanted our IDT to be. I got so extremely lucky with my team. We all had such good chemistry, and we made the entire process fun. Everybody gave constructive criticism. Nobody lashed out at one another. There were many disagreements, but they were all extremely civil, and we all were respectful and professional towards one another, and that's where we really thrived. We didn't take the criticism as an attack. We saw it as something to grow from, and we all grew together as a team. Well, yes, there were conflicts of interest that could have arisen. Nothing really Bad came of it, and because of that, we all worked
3: really well together as a team. So I, it was extremely beneficial in the end. So I'm glad that none of you really had these sorts of problems, and I know that Isabel, you've talked a little bit about why that happened. Why do you think you're able to bypass a lot of these issues? The IDT, much love to the institute. That's kind of what the IDT's program is set up for, creating these like a safe space for these conflicts to happen and then solve. Like, why, why do why didn't think? you were able to bypass that.
0: Well, I think part of that was just preparation before any meetings and trying to get a team that felt as though they could all mix together. And then another thing is it's a large part due to everybody on the team themselves. I can't take credit for people not causing problems and such. Everyone felt comfortable around each other very quickly as the meetings went on. And I think that fostered a culture where, yeah, of course, disagreements are going to come. And of course, not everyone's going to be on the same page. And I prefer it that way. But it was always handled in a civil way or there was always some type of communication with any disagreements and then we would come to a solution together.
1: I think a big part of it is just being approachable and really just down to earth about it. I would specifically call on people that, you know, weren't really speaking out that much. And I know we hate that in school when a teacher would call you out, but be like, hey, like, Jason, what do you think about this? You know, if I noticed that someone wasn't participating as much, that was really in the first beginning meetings. But as I started to do that more and more, I didn't have to anymore. They just naturally started to, you know, come up and say things. And really, even after I delegated my team into little smaller teams to do things, And when they came back with final products, I would show it to the entire team and then get feedback on it. And then it would kind of all open up. So that's the way that I really went about it. And with doing that, we all just kind of became comfortable with each other. And we relied on each other for different parts, too.
2: For me, we really established the tone of our IDT in our very first meeting. We appointed a timekeeper and we made agendas and we really set those rules up early on to make sure that we would stay professional and stay on task. And I think that all of us already knowing each other, or most of us already knowing each other, really helped out because nobody was really shy in our IDT. Everybody was comfortable speaking their mind. And even the more soft-spoken people, they they would speak up and they weren't afraid to share their opinions. I think it all stemmed from that very first meeting of let's get down to business. Let's do this, but let's not be afraid to have fun with it too. Because throughout the entire time, we, we, would, we would laugh with one another, we would joke around, but it was all very serious in the end,
3: and we were extremely productive every meeting. So I want to give this question to Isabel, because I believe you're the only person amongst <laughs> these three that have actually done an IDT before. What did you learn from your last IDT, and what lessons did you take to do this new one?
1: So with my last IDT... I, I don't know what better word to use than a background character. I really did not take as much charge as I would have liked to. and when it came time for feedback with my mentor on that team, which was Dean Kaiser, he was like, I really want to see you like pitch 90 t the next year. And then he, he was like, you know, I was really surprised that you really didn't like you know, take it by the reins. So going into this current year, I it probably shocked some, but I almost didn't pitch. It was about the week that pitches started, and I was lying in bed, just staring at the ceiling. And I was like, I am going to be so pissed at myself if I don't pitch. And I had had this idea in my head of, you know, something with the crucible moments. And that fall, I had went to an upperclassman and said, Hey, what do you think about this? And they said, You know what? I think it's a little bit too similar to the mental health initiative. And that just kind of took the wind out of my sails. And I did not want to pitch. I was like, Screw it, I'm not pitching. But then that December night, I was just lying awake. I was like, Isabel, you are going to be so mad at yourself. And I just kept hearing like Dean Kaiser's words in my head, like over and over again. I got another second opinion from another upperclassman in the program. And they said, Isabel, I could just see the way that you're like lighting up and smiling, talking about it. Like, you have to do this. And so I emailed Dr. Price. I said, put me on the list. And I was probably the last one to put my name in there. And when I was voted through and everything, going into that first meeting, I was terrified. I tell my team members this all the time. They're like, we do not believe you. And I guess I have a really good poker face, but just I wasn't confident. And I I had such bad imposter syndrome. I felt like I didn't belong there. And especially as a woman, too, I felt like, you know, maybe my other male peers deserved it more than I did. And I just remembered last year just being that like kind of background character. And I was like, I am not going to fall into the background again. And I just took it by the reins again and just remember to you know, keep holding on and really take charge of it. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so but I'm going to open up to Alyssa and Jason, because this time last year, you probably had no idea <laughs> what an IDT was and you just like jumped into it. Can you talk about that experience of just hearing, Oh, IDT needs a leader. I'll do it. How did that come together?
2: For me, it was very simple, actually. I had scheduled a one-on-one meeting with Dr. Price to ask him about how I could get more involved in the Institute and in Seton Hall in general, and he said a great way to start would be the IDTs, and I said, IDT, what's that? And He said, oh, it's the interdisciplinary teams. You should be a leader. You get to run your own team and come up with a really cool project, and I said, okay, thank you, and when IDTs came around, and during that very first meeting— Our group said, all right, who wants to be a leader? And me and Katie Burns both volunteered, and we gave our little sales pitch, if you will, and then we took it to a vote. For me, it was sort of a no-brainer. I was very involved in my high school leadership, and I wanted to further that in college. And this seems like a, a perfect opportunity to use the skills I already had and develop new ones in the process.
0: This time last year, I didn't even know what leadership program was at all. IDTs was definitely out of the frame for me. (laughs) And the way it developed for me wanting to be a leader was just from that moment, but it didn't come as a spark immediately. I remember I spoke with the business advisor, Ruchin, afterwards about how I felt embarrassed about it. And he said, that should be nothing to feel embarrassed about because you don't control your financial situations and such. And from then, I thought maybe there should be a closet available. And this time I was thinking small. I wasn't even thinking IDTs. I was thinking maybe there should just be a closet for business students where we have it available. And I wasn't going to pitch the IDT either. Um, (laughs) I was also doing it like the last week available. (laughs) So when he sent a team's message of maybe seven or six people that were doing it at the time, I thought, this is a really small group. Maybe I could do it. And maybe I'll squeeze in as number seven or something. And I remember sitting at a room with another classmate of mine in the business leadership program. And she was also thinking about pitching her IDT. And I was encouraging. I was like, you should pitch yours. And it became like, well, if you're going to say that, why don't you pitch yours? And it kind of ended up being like, you know what? I might as well do it. I mean, this is my first year. I want to create an impact. I don't want to be known as nobody or not be known at all. And this is a chance to really create a, a impact on the community and be more than just myself. So I knew I would hate myself for it if I didn't do it and regret it. So kind of put it in also last minute. So I don't know if you were the last one or I was I mean, the last maybe one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, so I think it's really interesting that I, like we brought up imposter syndrome a lot and we're probably... 20 at the most, like I'm getting everyone's ages right, 20 at the most. And you guys are being tasked to do like very big projects, really, really big initiatives. Did you ever feel like you were making the wrong decision ever at any point during this process?
0: Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> there's always moments where you kind of think, am I doing this right? But the best part about this whole thing is the fact that it is a group project. And so any moment where I had doubt in myself or I was really questioning it, I had eight other teammates to bring it up to and kind of bring up, hey, I'm thinking about this topic. I don't know if it's the best. What do you think? And sometimes they would affirm it and say, that's a great idea. We should move on with that. Or they would say, well, maybe we should look at it this way. And they would tweak my ideas and such. And so whenever I was struggling with any thoughts of, am I even doing this right? Or do I even deserve to be here or such? Just speaking with a group and whether it's just asking a question about, is this a good idea, really helped progress the whole initiative as a whole, and also just really make myself feel better about, yeah, this is a good idea. Um, I'm glad to hear about this from other people.
1: The answer to your question is absolutely. (laughs) Even after I had given my presentation, for those that weren't there, when I gave my final IDT pitch to the presentation, my sound didn't work. And I held it together for the presentation. And when I sat down, I almost started crying. I felt like I had failed my team. I felt like I had failed myself. And I have the utmost respect for everyone on my team, but especially this one person, Michael Manners. He he like grabbed my knee and he was like, put your chin up. He's like, you chin up, come on, let's go. And afterwards my team and I all met together and they were like, we are so proud of like our final product. And when I forgot why I started, they reminded me. And so that's really what kept the imposter syndrome at bay. And I have, I have so much thanks for each and every one of them. We all reminded each other why we started when we felt that kind of creeping in.
2: Just, just like the other two here, my answer is absolutely 100%. I mean, it's very difficult to lead a team of such talented people and not feel like you're not doing enough. I mean, I have such huge respect for every single person on my team. Every single one of them would have done an amazing job leading the IDT. And I found myself asking, why am I doing this quite often? Everyone there is so talented and so outgoing and put their ideas forward. They're not shy people. I mean, they they have such fantastic ideas. So what sets me apart from the rest? Why should I get to be the CEO? I sort of took that insecurity and let my team really shine individually. I listened to all of their ideas and put my input in towards the end and didn't try to micromanage or run everything the way I thought it should be run. So I I really allowed that to further our team in that way. But I ran my IDT democratic. I let everybody speak and then we decided everything as a team. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I thought was best. It was about what we thought was best. So I think in the end, it was a great way to run the team. And that's also based on my feedback from Professor Jackson, our AD. But it's very difficult to be in that position of knowing I am having to guide all of these super talented people with such strong opinions who are just as qualified, if not more qualified than me, to to run this team. So I sort of had to put that aside and talk to myself and just say, Alyssa, you are in this position regardless of what you think right now, so you have to be that leader and not worry about your little intrusive thoughts in the back of your head. <laughs> so it's it's about overcoming and not listening to
3: that little voice saying you're not good enough. I want to direct a question at Jason because I believe your project amongst the three was the most like outwardly facing. You talked to Burlington, you got like a huge donation from them for your project. Did you ever feel like at any time talking to like these outside people not affiliated with Eating you were not going to be taken seriously as a student? running, like, a student-led initiative? Like, how'd you get past that?
0: Well, at first, I felt a lot of intimidation being to of representative at Burlington or speaking of the CEO of Donahue and such. At first, it's like, I'm 19 years old and I'm talking to someone <laughs> <laughs> way above my pay grade. But I really felt as though coming into the days and such, a great part of it was that some of them reached out to us first. And so, in a way they already established that they respected the initiative, that they respected my idea. And so instead of getting nervous about whether or not I'm going to be respected, I really was just thinking about they like the idea. I just have to do a good job of conveying to them that this is something that's real. This is something that's going to be sustainable and something that's going to hopefully live longer than my time here at CN Hall and all of our time at CN Hall and be something that's going to continue to grow.
3: I like want to ask about the possible setbacks that you guys experienced. Can you like talk about any setbacks that you had and how you got past that?
2: So we said this in our presentation. Kai really focused in on this. We had to do everything twice. I mean, we had a run-through script, and then we all read over it. We talked about it, and we decided this doesn't flow right. It's pretty basic. We're going to scrap it, and we're going to just start fresh. So our second script we all loved, and that's what we ran with. Same with filming. When we started filming, we've never used camera equipment before, or this podcast mic we're using now. We, we borrowed it from Kai and we had no idea how to use it. So the audio and the video quality both needed a lot of work. So we had to scrap it and redo it. And that definitely pushed back our timeline. We were planning to be done by April 8th. We didn't get to be done until the night before our IDT presentation. So it was definitely stressful, especially towards the end. But my team is so resilient. I know my team was getting stressed, especially towards the end, but they all held it together really well and all came together when we really needed to. It was definitely a challenge to have to redo a lot of our work that we thought was going to be a one-shot deal.
1: So that was our biggest issue for me. It was just the perfect storm, as it always is with IDTs, but it was the week that final presentations started, and my project worked the most with the Center for Academic Success, which is in charge of, like, the freshman studies program, and we were the second week that the final presentations were. So the first week that the final presentations were going, we went to the center, and we basically showed them our final products just to get, like, the final stamp of approval, and when we did that, they were like, well, we kind of have some concerns. Why don't we show this to you our coordinator PAs who are like the, the PAs in charge of the PAs. And we basically had to do a, a, a run through demo with them. And this was real, it was like time was tight and we really had to focus on this final push. And what we did is we just put all of our energy into that. We put all of it into there and focused on basically doing like a mock run of what we would do in front of the Institute. And really we got advice from Dr. Price. We got advice from our mentor, Dean Halpin, and we all came together and knew how much that this run through meant. And then conveniently 10 minutes before this meeting started, I spilled coffee all over myself and my teammates, God bless them. They're like, Isabel go to the bathroom. Like we got this. And we just all came together because all our passion for this project just helped propel us even further we really relied on that kind of as like a battery to keep us going and get through those setbacks
0: also face a couple of setbacks with it all especially since this was something that had to be started from the ground up as there was nothing before it and i think the main setback was how to store the clothing i mean the quote-unquote easy part was getting the clothes but now it was so burlington just sent over 300 articles of clothing where do we put that and originally, when our very first meeting, I spoke to the group and I said that we're going to aim a little high for this. We're aiming for 100 articles of clothing. That did not age well, obviously. And
3: How many articles of clothing did you get?
0: We have over 500 articles of clothing right now. And um, that's after taking some stuff out, too. And so when we faced this problem, we thought, yeah, a little janitor's closet would be great. Maybe two racks and we'll be all set. And that's definitely not enough. And uh, a member of our team, Julia, was set with going around all over campus, asking for spaces, asking for rooms. And we got nothing. But luckily, the Career Center reached out, and they were interested in it, and they provided us an office. And we're very grateful of that office. And even with that space, originally, they were going to give us that janitor's closet (laughs) until we told them about how much we have. And the room right now, you can't even open the door fully without knocking it to a box. So we're still looking to expand. We're still looking to see how to best keep everything stored.
3: I hear every year from Dr. Price that the IDT projects get more ambitious and ambitious. And oftentimes, they're very successful in their ambition. Why do you guys think that is?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it is just there's always going to be an evolution with things and As the program gets older and and everybody gets involved, it's only going to get better and better because there's an example set by those before you. And along with that also just goes with how amazing the students are now. My team played a huge role into this, of course. They did more than I can explain in a 30-minute podcast just by myself, let alone sharing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just a lot of with that ambition comes a drive. And I think everybody was passionate about it in my group. And because of that passion, we were able to do things that we otherwise thought would be impossible for a semester.
1: I think leadership is becoming a lot more personal, if that makes sense. And I think with Jason's story and my story, you know, having these stories, these backstories, to motivate us just brings that ambition and that level of drive to just a whole new other level because you've been in that position before. And that feeling that you had in that position just drives you to go even like to new heights you couldn't have even imagined before. And then people kind of get excited off your own ambition and it kind of, it just like it lights everybody up. So I think that's kind of part of the reason why too, is that leadership is just becoming more and more personal and everybody can make their own story out of it. I think a, a big part of it is
2: definitely the
1: importance
2: impressed upon us by our advisors as well. I know Dr. Price spoke to us an awful lot about, you know, this is a big deal. You guys shoot for the stars. Like, he, he really encouraged us throughout the entire process and made sure that, that we knew that we could do whatever we wanted to do in this process. And I think a lot of us leadership kids take that as a challenge in a way, uh, in a positive way, and say, okay, I I will do that. I will do this to the best of my ability. I'm going to try to do something that I don't even think I am capable of and then and then still pull it off. So I think a lot of it is ambition and testing the limits. And that's what college is all about. Right. Especially in the Institute to be able to push those boundaries and test ourselves and our capabilities. And I mean, I think my IDT personally did a great job of that with we, we animated a stick figure for our video, which our animator Katie didn't even know she was capable of. And she had to learn this whole process in order to be able to animate our little stick figure man, because we realized having a physical actor would pose inconsistencies with our plot. So pushing the limits and testing the boundaries, that's what we've been told leadership is all about. And as Isabel said, it's it's becoming very personal. And it's a personal goal to be able to outdo ourselves. And it's It's a you versus you sort of battle. How can I be better than I was last year? How can I be better than I was two months ago? And I think that that's definitely reinforced by our mentors and a d s and leaders such as Dr. Price who are telling us that we can be these people. We are capable of these things if we just believe in ourselves. Thank
3: you all so much for sharing your stories. I saw these presentations obviously, and like hearing them' just like brought a new sense of insight that i I'm glad to bring on to the show. But I do have one more question. And that is, what is one thing that you think you'll always bring with you from the
1: IDTs? It's okay to rely on other people. And I know that sounds kind of crazy. Like, of course it is. But I was always that person that was very to myself. I can do everything myself. I have it all within me. The power comes from me and me myself. And... I was a perfectionist, I still am. I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> the bonds that I created with my team and the way that they were there for me just I will never forget Michael Manners holding my knees saying like it's chin up, like you did amazing, like we all did amazing. Be proud of the product. That will always stick with me. Us all huddled up before and after our presentation, just being so proud of our product. And I knew standing in that circle that I could have done it by myself, but it would have not been the same experience. It would have been way less of a fulfilling, enriching learning experience for me. And so much comes out of an experience when you're able to trust other people and share that leadership with them. So I guess that's the biggest thing I took away from mine.
0: I would say there's, a great power with uplifting people. And something that I took away huge from this project was that it wasn't a project made up of nine people. It was a project made up of thousands of people because of the fact that we got donations from not just students or faculty even, but people who aren't even affiliated with Seton Hall who are just in the South Orange community. There was a Mother's Post on Facebook that got us a bunch of donations. And also with Burlington uh, being able to donate Because of that community aspect of Donahue hearing of it from the article posted just because they're based in New Jersey. And so they thought that this is something great to work in. And with that, this project did not have only the goal to uplift students with the clothing. But what I found was that the community uplifted the project, too, and that it was something where everyone played a role. And it was amazing to see the impact that people who have nothing to do with CN Hall were willing To create.
2: The takeaway is about those connections that I've been able to form with my team and not just my team but the people we reached out to. I never expected to get much feedback when I asked, oh hey Sophia Dinman, can I borrow your camera equipment? I expected a hard no because that's expensive equipment but people like Kaida Jesus and Sophia Dinman, they helped us just out of the goodness of their hearts because they want to help us succeed. And I think it's often underestimated how much people are willing to help you for a good cause. And like what Isabel was saying, you don't have to do everything yourself. I, too, was that person when I was younger that 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 was one of my biggest critiques as a leader was I did everything on my own because I didn't want to burden my team or I I just knew, oh, I I can do this. It's, It's not it's not a problem. But then that left the rest of my team feeling left out. And in this process. I realized that being a leader is more than doing the most. Being a leader means delegation and making sure everybody's included and fostering that family environment. And that's something I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life and into my future job, to be able to help people feel included in every aspect of a project that's a very powerful thing
3: is inclusion as a whole everybody benefits from that thank you once again for joining me on the show and I wish you luck in your future academic prospects and to our listeners we'll hear from you next week